What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode 38 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Another week of hockey talk as the Fires will be back in action coming up on Thursday, returning home to take on the Arizona Coyotes Sunday. Going to be interesting. Toronto Maple Leafs in town. And then Monday, that makeup game, not makeup game, the game they changed to from April to Monday, the 9th, against the Buffalo Sabres. So, uh, a lot coming up for the Flyers and a busy schedule on the way. Anthony DeMarco from the fourthperiod.com is going to join us in just a moment. But let me tell you about Bet Parks because Bet Parks, the greatest casino and sportsbook app, is fantastic. It travels with you. You want to know what it looks like? It looks like this, like a phone. And it's on your phone and it travels easy. You can get your action in from anywhere in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. And take it from me, the Bet Parks app is everything you want in a mobile casino and sports book. Simple to use, easy to navigate, fast deposit methods, fast payouts, faster to win than ever before, and all different ways to get your action in. So sign up, check it out, get in on the same game parlays, live in game betting, you name it, player performances. First to score, exact score, over-unders on rushing yards, passing touchdowns, pro football, college football, uh, pro hoops, college hoops, hockey, anything in the world of sport and more, you can get your action in on. And like I said, it's easy to sign up and faster to win than ever before. Do yourself a favor. Download the Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Conquerville Subaru. Fantastic dealership. I've been with them for years and years and years. They got a beautiful dealership on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And uh, the work they do in the community is unparalleled. That's why when they say Conquerville Cares, it's not just a couple of words. It's not, it's not two words, Conquerville Cares. No, no, it's a way of doing business and a way of integrating into your community. And Conquerville Subaru has eight years supporting the Namor's Children's Hospital of Delaware. They've adopted 15 classrooms in the Marcus Hook Elementary School. They've done it again this year, giving teachers $500 of classroom supplies. Plus, they continue the donations of thousands of coats this time of year to La Humanidad, España, in Kennett Square. They've done that for 10 years and continue that still. New Year's here. It's a great time to visit that showroom of Route 202 in Glen Mills. Check out the great certified pre-owned inventory and pick from the great Subaru vehicles on site. Even take one for a test drive. Plus, Conquerville has a beautiful, beautiful service department, free car wash with every visit. Visit ConquervilleSubaru.com and get all the details there online. Visit the showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember that Conquerville cares. And there he is joining us right now from north of the border in Montreal. It is Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period, the fourth period.com. Follow him on Twitter at ADeMarco25. What's going on, Ant? Not too much, buddy. End of 2023. Happy New Year to you and yours. Yeah. It was, did you have a good celebration or did you kind of keep it low key? Drank too much, stayed up too late. You know, the classic <laughs> rotation for New Year's Eve, but it's kind of good to be back into the swing of things. Went back to the gym today, probably put on about five pounds over the holiday season, but I guess that's pretty par for the course with everybody. Yeah. Uh, good eating. Uh, yeah, that. Exactly. And- you know, as, as the Flyers wrap up 2022 and head into 2023, they're riding for the second time this year um, a, a three-game win streak. The last time they won three straight was games one, two, and three of the season. Now they've won three straight. They beat, you know, a, a not great San Jose team, pretty damn good LA Kings team, and a really downtrodden 
Anaheim Ducks team? What's your takeaway from the three-game win streak? I mean, they took advantage of teams that are just not very good, right? LA maybe more so than the other two, but I think all in all, we're seeing the Flyers kind of show that while they're not a very good team, they're certainly not the worst team. And I think that's been fair to say that all through this, like especially the Anaheim Ducks, like that's one of the worst teams that we've seen in the last number of years, right? Like just a very bad San, um, a very bad Ducks team, a badly coached Ducks team, and then you get San Jose, that's really kind of I think on the cusp of starting uh, an official rebuild. Who knows what's going to come of guys like Timo Meyer and Eric Carlson, Logan Couture, and all that. And then you see an LA Kings team that's arguably been the most underwhelming team this season. You know, Los Angeles had a good bounce back season last year, got into the playoffs, took the Edmonton Oilers to seven games. And we expected with a bunch of those young kids headed by Quentin Byfield that they would probably take that next step. But they haven't done that. They've gotten really bad cold tending. Cal Peterson's down in the minors. They've relied a lot on Phoenix Copley. So, I mean, good for the Flyers to prove that they are a cut above the rest. Maybe not so good if we consider uh, the race for Connor Bedard. But all in all, I think it just showed that the Flyers aren't quite as bad as the worst teams in the NHL. I mean, think about this. Anaheim, the Flyers have 13 regulation wins. Like, we know how mis- we live this every day, right? We know the misery that's been this season so far. We're not even at the halfway point. They have 13 yeah. regulation wins. Anaheim has three. They're a bad team. They're thirty-seven just... games, three regulation wins in thirty-seven games. Yeah, and that was a team that I think for a lot of years was reliant on John Gibson, and John Gibson's play has really just nosedive and or taken a nosedive over the last couple regular seasons. And I don't think that's completely on Gibson just turning into a dog shit goalie. I think a lot of that is him just maybe not caring as much. And why is he going to break his head for a team? that really isn't a whole lot good at all. A team that's really going through a rebuild that really took front uh, center stage last year with the general manager change and, you know, moving on from their best defenseman in habits Lindholm. But I mean, it just shows that there are teams in far worse positions than the flyers. And, you know, you obviously have the crowd, especially after Connor Bedard's magic last night, that, kind of is against winning and I could understand that like this is a once in a lifetime type of player or once in a generation type of player that you have at an opportunity with Connor Bedard but at the same time like I said on TSN radio last week when you have as many young guys as the Flyers do on that roster you don't want them to get conditioned to losing and a losing culture maybe what we saw four or five years ago with the likes of Provorov and Konechny and Travis Sanheim you don't want to repeat history with guys like Owen Tippett and Cam York and Carter Hart and maybe now Sam Urson, and we could talk about him. You know, you're a big goalie guy. What have you thought of Urson's play? Yeah, I've, I mean, the situation where he comes in and, and against Carolina and they climb all over him right away. Team wasn't very good in front of him to begin with. He let in a couple of goals, two in particular that I didn't love. He gets the hook after five. And you know, I, I said during the intermission, you know, that I'm sure that Kim Dillabaugh is already starting the mental process of saying this one game and you getting pulled in your first one does not define you as an NHL goaltender. But then Cart goes down and he's got to go back in. And in some ways, I think that was the best thing for him because he didn't have any chance to think it's, you know, your body kicks into either fight or flight mode at that point. And you just got to go back out there and battle. And he went out and he battled the rest of that game. Didn't give anything up. 
and kept this team in it enough to give them a chance to win the game. They can storm him back. And then, you know, some good performances. And I mean, obviously the game against Anaheim, they what 29 shots on he makes 28 saves loses the goose egg with under a minute to go i thought he made some big saves in the game plus you know to me sometimes it's not always about the sheer number of it but the way a goalie looks and doing it yeah and i've talked about this with Hart quite a bit and, and you saw it in carry price for years you saw it front and center in montreal the guy's heart rate never looked like it went over 55 beats per minute yeah he looked composed never overwhelmed stuck to the plan, stuck to his reads, stuck to his game, his efficiency and movement and all those things. And to me, that's the thing about Urson that's been the the most kind of, you know, satisfying part is how he's looked when he's played because he doesn't look overwhelmed. And that's what you want, right? And he's a guy that we know the organization is very high on. They even brought it up on 32 Thoughts, Jeff Merrick, how they're very high on a guy like Sam Urson. And all of a sudden, not to say that there's a goalie controversy, I think we're worlds away from that, but they have good depth at the goaltending position. Like even Felix Sandstrom, like I don't know if Sandstrom's ever going to be a starter in this league. I think that's very doubtful at this juncture, especially when you consider that he's even older than Carter Hart is and three years older than Sam Urson. But I think he's a decent backup goaltender. Like, is Sandstrom any worse than the uh, than Brian Elliott or Martin Jones and what they gave you in the previous seasons? Is he more or less on par in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, from a you know straight up standpoint, probably about the same. But you got to look at it and go, can this guy handle playing one out of every six or one out of every seven, and and give me quality starts? That's the one thing about the veteran guys like yeah. Jones or like. Uh, moose that you know that at this point in their career they can do that so that's yeah. part of it too and i think that it was time to figure out what you had in felix sandstrom because he was a guy that was drafted even before carter hart i think athletically he has a lot of talent he just seems very busy in the net if that makes sense and kind of goes back to what you were saying and how a goaltender will look and what kind of look while making these saves so i mean there's a lot to like about what the Flyers have moving forward with this goaltending situation. And Sam Ursa, I would imagine he eventually goes back down to Lehigh because I think Sandstrom is waiver eligible. He is. Um, Sandstrom would have to clear waivers. Ursan is not. Yeah. So I, I don't know if or if Sandstrom would get claimed. I mean, maybe a team would take a shot on him. I would have to go really down the list, but... You know, I'm not sure if they're at the goaltending limit, but like maybe a Columbus would like take a flyer on a Felix Sandstrom, given what's mm-hmm. happened there that this year. Or off the top of my head, you could maybe see like maybe not to Edmonton, but I really have to take a look. And you want Urson to get the games, right? You want him yeah. to keep playing. And I think that uh, Grosnick is even injured down in Lehigh, and they yeah. have a guy who was like the WHL goaltender of the year or something um, playing right now. So, I mean, I expect Urson to go back down, but it kind of is a positive thing here that, man, maybe long-term here, and especially if you get some more clarity on Fedotov moving forward or the other kid that they drafted, Kolosov, I think his name is. Yeah, that Russian. He's a couple years away from being able to come over, but, yeah, he's performing. He's 20 years old now playing K, and he's got similar numbers to that age that Sorokin and Shesterkin had. Like in so 1920, all- I mean, sick numbers. 
So all of a sudden there, you're looking pretty good at the goaltending position. And I mean, obviously Kolosov was a, um, was a Chuck Fletcher draft pick, but Mm -hmm. if we criticize and I'm front and center in that we criticize Ron Hexel a lot for the way he drafted, given how much time and effort he invested into it. But it seemed like the one position he really nailed down was the goaltending because all these guys are got Ron Hextall picks. I remember talking to Hexy about it, and he said, I'm going to find value at the goaltending position in every draft that I dra- – I'm the guy making the decisions because you can't have enough depth there, and you can always flip you know, a guy in the organization for good equity. You yep. know, Because if, if you got the guy and he's your franchise guy and the other guy's young and you, you, know, you want a veteran backup or whatever – you go, okay, I can flip a goaltender at all times. If a guy's got, got you know, really developing nicely, I can always flip that for, for a good return. And that, that was Hexy's belief coming from the goaltending position. It's weird because Jim Rutherford was not is not that way. No, <laughs> he was yeah. a former goaltender too. Uh, it was out in Pittsburgh, but uh, Hexy is that way. You know, the other thing about it too is I'd like to see a little bit more a little bit change in the in the rotation when Carter does come back. I I don't want to see Carter go six straight, one for the backup, seven straight, one for the backup. I think it should be more on like a four to five to one, four and a half games to one ratio. Because I think it's important you find out what Sancho is, what Ersan is. We need a bigger sample size in this guy, on these guys to do that. And I think they need to play a little more. Plus, I just don't... I want to play hard into the ground in this year. I want him to play, but I don't need him to go six games in a row, seven games in a row, and those kind of stretches. I get this DM from a guy. He goes, man, Ersan looks good, man. Is hard expendable. (laughs) And and this is like typical sports fan, right? I'm not even going to say flyer fan because it happens in all sports. Hyperbolic. It's just like you want to go somewhere really quick, you know? We want to microwave everything. So I said to him, I said, yeah, Ersan's looked very good, but he's played a total of about 23 games in North America and three in the NHL. Thinking hard is expendable with that minuscule sample size is way premature. <laughs> like, let's calm down. Like, he's not the next coming of, uh, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury or, you know, some of the great goalies or Brodeur or Lundqvist. to use this fellow countryman. Like, we need to calm down. This is a long play. Um, let me ask you about a, a couple guys in particular, because I did a lot about this on Flyers Daily. Because on the score sheet in that last game against Anaheim, the only three points on that score sheet in the four goals scored were two assists for Hayes and one for Scott Lawton. Other than that, it was 25 and under. In the game, Cates, two assists. Konechny had a goal yet again. But Cam York had an assist. Joel Farabee had one and one. And Morgan Frost had a goal. Seven points for those under 25 players. I, Tippett didn't end up on the score sheet that night, but he's got nine points in his last 10 games. Now, five goals and four assists. This young group of players, while they may not be high-end talent, this is where maybe we can start to get a little optimistic that the future could be good as long as they can acquire that high-end talent, which is the double-edged sword of winning right now. For a lot of people, it's why they're conflicted. But those young players are really leading the way. And it's not just that game, it's multiple games. No, yeah, for sure. I think that when you had Alex Appleyard on, who very insightful conversation, he was a really brilliant mind. I never heard him speak. I'd only read his tweets before, but he said something that was very true. And it was that I don't think the Flyers 
have to worry about their second, third, fourth line, second pair, third pair for a while here. I think they're really stacked with talent on the roster with all the players you just listed. NHL talent. NHL talent. And even down in Lehigh, I think they have a lot of guys whose ceilings are in that middle six range, like a Bobby Brink. He's struggled a lot but recently, but a Tyson Forster, Elliot Denye, maybe Zade Wisdom more down near the fourth line. And then on the defensive side, you know, Ronnie Adder, Igor Zmula, Emil Andre. But you're missing that high-end piece, those high-end pieces. And I talked about on Brotherly Pod today that what they're me- missing isn't a lot in terms of quantity, but it's a lot in terms of quality. Yeah. If you dropped two high-end pieces on this roster, and I always, maybe because I'm up in Canada, I always use Matthews and Marner. If you just drop Matthews and Marner on this hockey team and pushed everyone down a peg, I don't think you have a cup contender, but you have a playoff team, in my opinion. That's yeah, what they're you, you put Matthews and Marner on this team, and you have a relatively healthy 85% of what he was, Sean Couturier, and and Cam Atkinson. Are you then are you a better team than the Montreal or than the Toronto Maple Leafs right now? That's a spicy question. <laughs> that I mean, a, that's a kicker, isn't it? If you have, because let's say you have to eliminate two guys off your roster. So instead of Matthews and Marner, you, I mean, you take off Hayes and you take off Van Reems, like let's yep. just say. Those are the two guys you eliminate. And you have even a 75% Sean Couturier. Because even a 75% Sean Couturier and you, he gives you, let's say, points. yeah, like let's say Hayes level offensive production with that much better defense. Although I think Hayes has been a lot better defensively the last three games. But I think that you look at that defense, it, it's tough because Toronto still has Tavares and Nylander, yeah. who are pretty much a second first line in and of itself. Yeah. The problem with Toronto is, is that their bottom six is really not good. And I think that what you've seen in the last couple of playoffs is that the teams they're playing against, whether it was Montreal in 2021 or um, uh, uh, say Tampa Bay last year, is that you shut down their high-end talent and they had nothing else. And even at times, like depending if they had Alex Kerfoot on their second line or Pierre Engvall or whoever, they really only were rolling with like four, maybe five guys, depending on how Michael Bunting was playing, producing in their top six. What the Flyers would have over them was that they would have a third line that could probably produce a lot of offense. Because if you have Atkinson and you have Couturier healthy in your lineup, that means that as of today, you probably have a third line, something along the lines of Scott Lawton, Morgan Frost, and Owen Tippett, which yeah. would be a hell of a third line, or Noah Kate somewhere in there. And I think that Kate could be your third line center, to be honest with you. Yeah, and maybe you have Morgan Frost playing left wing with Katorian Atkinson on a second line, yeah. something like that. And I really think that it would be a playoff team. Like, I still wonder about the defense. Like, I wonder how that defense would look, which is weird, right? Because I was the one championing their defense before the season entered, but I just don't know how well D'Angelo has really meshed with them. I think that has kind of been the X factor here. But would they be better than the Toronto Maple Leafs? There's a serious case to be made because I think that their depth would be substantially better than what Toronto has right now. Yeah, and I think that... It, it would be interesting. I mean, it's not going to happen. You're not going to plop Matthews and Marner here. Yeah. Um, but, and, and that's the hard part is 
getting a Matthews and a Marner, right? You exactly. need some lottery luck and you and you know what fans will say is, well, if that's what you need, then why is winning important now? And I, look, I don't think winning is important now. I don't. I think winning's in, to an ex, losing, you know, ad nauseum is an infection, I believe. And for the people, you know, a lot of people go, well, it's better if they can finish with one of the worst records because then you have a shot at one of those players. But to be that, Konechny's got to fail. Tippett's got to fail. Yeah. Uh, Frost has got to fail. Uh, Provorov's got to fail. Uh, Sanheim's got to fail. All these guys got to fail, and now you have all these other holes, and they'll go, well, I'll take Connor Bedard and have to fill those holes later, but I don't know. L- look at other teams that have stars but don't have a cast like Edmonton, who's got Dreisaitl and McDavid and had – Taylor Hall and had a number one overall pick in Neil Yakupov. Look at all of those teams, right? And look at Toronto, who hasn't gotten out of the first round with, you know, with Jesus, with Matthews, Marner, Tavares, and Nylander. You know, yeah. and they haven't gotten out of the first round. So you have to build a team. You know, they have a team built, but it's missing those high end pieces, like you said. And that's going to be the trick. That's the dicey part of this equation. I think you have the goaltending. I feel good about that. You know, what do those other teams suffer from? Look at Toronto. Goaltending has been an issue since Freddie Anderson left, even when Freddie Anderson was there. And then you look at a team like Edmonton, you know, Mike Smith and Koskinen and now Jack Campbell. Like, I don't believe in that goaltending. So it's it's that's why not every rebuild is the same. And, you know, I think it's just good that these young guys are are contributing. Now the, the trick is, okay. Morgan Frost in his last 10 games or 12 games is putting up points. Can he sustain it? Same thing with Tippett. We're not even at the halfway point. Konechny is, I mean, just been unbelievable this year. Better than I thought he could be. I mean, when you look at Konechny's season, I I brought up his game log for uh, yesterday's Flyers Daily. And the most impressive thing on his game log is that he hasn't gone, he's gone two games without a point one time this season. One time, and that was the Nashville game on the road, and then they came home and took on San Jose, and he got benched in the third period. The only time he's gone two games in a row with no points. Other than that, and he's only not scored in a game, ended up with a point seven times in 30-plus games. Konechny is a an example here of a guy that production and goal scoring to concure almost everything. Because the last three games, four goals and an assist, he has been their best offensive player all season. But he's also consistently been a guy who is very high event, a guy who consistently has been like at the top in terms of expected goals against per 60 and all that. But when you're producing the way he is and you're a net positive the way he is, and this is coming from a guy who criticized Travis Konechny a lot over the years, that is all that matters. If you're like the underlying numbers tell a big story, like let's say Morgan Frost over the last three games, he's produced well, but by the metrics, he's been their worst forward. But when you're producing goals and when you're getting on the score sheet, I think it a erases a lot of what your process may say. And B it goes a lot in the way of confidence. And I think connect especially is a guy that's been infectious in the way of how confident he's been and how confident he's playing. And look, 
sometimes it gets him into trouble. Like I said, he has his defensive woes. I think that at times he looks very erratic defensively. But when you're producing the way he is and when your defensive miscomings are often due to trying to exert too much effort, you can live with that. Like, yeah. I'll always say this. Ray Ferraro said this all the time. You know, who cares about the 200-foot player, player? Give me the guy who's going to put the puck in the net. And if you're producing it the way Konechny's producing, you can live with all the other shortcomings. Yeah, he and not only that, but what he's doing now on the PK, he's becoming all-situations player late in games, whether you're down a goal or up a goal, uh, killing penalties, power play. He's done it in all shapes and sizes, and that, that makes him even more valuable. Um, you know, the job that Torts has done, and – I, I, he's charged with a lot of things this year, finding out who's who, who's what, who's part of it going forward, who's not, uh, who we can rely on and who we can't rely on. But the two biggest elements of his job at this year are developing young players, which he's done throughout his career. And, you know, we're starting to see guys like Farabee maybe get it going again. Farabee has developed. We've seen him succeed at the NHL level prior, but Frost, Tippett, Noah Cates in a different role, uh, playing the center position most nights. And some of the other young players, Cam York, who didn't start the season with the team, developing those guys on the best best path possible to be longtime NHL players and good NHL players. And then the other part is the guys like Konechny and Provorov and some other guys that are looking to regain their form and get their trajectory pointing in the right direction again. Those are the two biggest tasks that Torts has. They're not easy. Not all of them are going to pass. But how would you measure the job he's done in that regard so far through, what, 37 games? Look, as far as the young, young guys go, I think it's been A+. plus. Like, off the top of my head, and, like, we're not going to count guys like like Tanner Lazinski, right? Or I mean, with the exception of Wade Allison, and even at that, I think Allison has proven that he could be, like, a bottom-line player, has there been any young guy that's really failed? Like Frost has at least proven to be an everyday NHLer, depending Hayden on where. Hodgson. <laughs> yeah, Hayden Hodgson's the guy that they're super high on. But you know, you look at like an Owen Tippett, you look at a Noah Cates, you look at a Morgan Frost, you look at what a, a Cam York has done since the recall. All these guys have met or exceeded expectations in a lot of ways, as far as I'm concerned. Like Lazinski, okay, he's battled injuries, and I think he was a bit disappointing the way he ended up playing. But even at that, like, how, what kind of ceiling did he have? Wade Allison as well. Like, I mean, what kind of ceiling were we really expecting from the guy? Yeah, I think Max Roman, we're not putting in this conversation either. Exactly. You know, yeah. uh, so like, I mean, with the exception of maybe Allison, I think everyone's met the expectations. In terms of the middle of the road guys, in terms of age and the guys that you're kind of looking for bounce back seasons, obviously Travis Konechny's front and center. And Ivan Provorov, I mean, I don't think he's bounced back to the way that I thought he would or that 2019-20. I still do think a bit of that is because they once again couldn't get an actual good, uh, the proper partner for him. He's playing a lot with Rosmus Ristolainen, who belongs nowhere near top pair on a consistent basis. But at a certain point, it lies at the feet of the player himself. And I think Provorov is at that stage where, in my opinion, you can't consider him a one anymore, which I did for a long time, a low-end one. But I think he's a good number two. 
And I think that the last three games specifically, him and Ristolainen have been damn good together. Like Ristolainen as a whole, the last three games has been their best defenseman. So, I mean, in terms of those middle-of-the-road guys, probably a B-plus because in a lot of ways you wanted Provorov to get back to that stud, potentially franchise-level defenseman. And the what Torts was tasked with here, aside from that, as you alluded to, was figuring out who could be part of the solution going forward. And with the exception of Kevin Hayes, which I mean, I think both of you and I have heard similar things. I really don't know that anyone has played themselves out of this town a lot. And I think that a lot of these guys, with the exception of Kevin Hayes, could be part of the solution moving forward. Now, obviously, there's a numbers game and not everyone will be able to stick around. But all in all, I think it's been a good AA minus for Tortorella this season. Yeah, I, I think he's done a good job uh, given the situation, keeping his team pointing in the right direction. You know, when they even when they take on a ton of water, you know, not letting it drown them. Uh, I think yeah. that's been a big part of it, too. And that's all part of this process as well. Um, last thing for you, you know, w- when you look at where this is all going, I mean, we see Bedard and what he's doing, obviously, in the World Juniors. I yeah. Mean, Come on, five games, eight goals, 13 assists, 21 points. I don't know what the record is for a tournament, but he's got to be close to it. I mean, anybody else popping to you, though, in the World Juniors? I know Leo Carlson had a a beauty the other day. Leo Carlson, obviously, David Yurchek of Czechia. We've already heard everyone start freaking out that the Flyers should have taken Yurchek over Carter Gautier. And I, I always advise this to people. Don't take this tournament as like the benchmark for what a player could be. Like I said, before Conor Bedard broke the record last night, the guy with the most uh, goals in Team Canada history at this tournament was Jordan Everly. Okay, yeah. Jordan Everly is a good player, not a generational player. So take yeah. what you see here with a grain of salt. But Juracek, who I was told was their second guy, and I think that they really went back and forth in Juracek and Gautier almost right up until the 11th hour. But, I mean, Juracek for sure. Goatee's had a really good tournament as well, speaking of him. I saw a stat from Mike Kelly today from the NHL Network that he has the most chances off the rush. I know he only got his first goal last night, but obviously had a lot of assists. Yeah. And on Team Canada, I like it's weird because their goaltending has always been very shady. But I really like what I saw from their goaltender last night, Thomas Millich. Obviously, he faced, mm-hmm. I think, only 24 shots while yeah, the other guy was getting... Stage, no. Yeah, big saves, and like you could attest to this. When you're not in the action mm-hmm. and it's such a pressure situation like that, it's arguably harder if you're the other guy at the other end of the net game peppered with 50-plus shots. Yeah, I totally 